Would you turn in your Bible, please, to Mark, the 12th chapter? Mark, the 12th chapter. Mark, chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. I have a strange title of the lesson of the message this morning. And Jesus sat over against the treasury. And Jesus sat over against the treasury. That's the title of the lesson, the message this morning. It's taken from Mark chapter 4, verses 41 through 44. May we pray a moment. Our Father, we thank Thee for this time to study the Bible. Thank You for the way our hearts have been moved. And we just would join in saying, I will praise Thee for the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world has made it possible for us to be accepted in the beloved and know we're going to heaven. Father, if there is one person within the sound of our voice today who is not sure about that, not sure he's going to heaven, may the Holy Spirit move that heart and draw him to Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Mark chapter 12, and Jesus sat over against the treasury, and behold, beheld how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples, and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, This poor widow hath cast more in than all they who have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. It's always a remarkable thing to read from the Scripture the words or the expressions or the account of what Jesus did and what He said. I'd like to encourage us to read the Gospels over and over again. Get a red-letter Bible if you can and just watch the words of Jesus that are marked in red. What He said. Everything the Word of God says is important because it represents God-breathed Scripture. But I guess if you could underscore something that is important on top of important, it would be what Jesus said. Because there are quotes from the God of Heaven, direct quotes from his heart. In the temple of the Old Testament, which was the temple in which Jesus entered and worshiped and spoke, there was a court of the Gentiles and a court of the women. Between the court of the Gentiles and the court of the women, there was a beautiful gate called the Gate Beautiful. Now in the court of the women, <laughs> there were 13 collection boxes. I don't know how many we have here, collection plates. But they didn't use collection plates, they used collection boxes, and there were 13 of them. And they were all for various uh, purposes of directing the work of God. Some were for sacrifices for the animals, uh, to purchase the animal sacrifices. Some were to purchase upkeep for the temple. Uh, others were for the taking care of the priests and the ministers of the temple and so on. But there were 13 of them. 
They were called the trumpets. They were called the trumpets, first of all, because they were shaped like trumpets. Those boxes were shaped like trumpets. But they were also called trumpets because of the symbolic purpose of those collection boxes. They were to trumpet the message, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. The Lord thy God is one Lord. And that was the message that the Jews were to give to the whole world. Now in the course of time, they forgot what their message was, and they became self-centered, and they became lazy, and they did not do what God told them to do, but that's what was the symbolism behind those collection plates and the trumpets. Now, many came by, according to this record, many came by to cast in their big, large gifts. And they did it, they looked around to see if everybody was watching, and they cast their money in. Lots of times they did it to be seen of men. Jesus said one day, verily they have their reward. Their reward is that they've been seen by everybody. That's about all the reward they'll ever get. But he said, you do some things secretly for the Lord. You do them secretly, and the Lord which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But these have done what they've done, and everybody has seen it, and that's about all the reward they'll get. They're People think they're sort of, sort of big wigs and so on. Now notice where Jesus was. He, was. he sat over by the treasury. This reminds us, first of all, that Jesus is really aware of the things that go on in our lives. There isn't anything that Jesus is not aware of. He's with us as we drive down the road. He's with us when we go in the restaurants. He's with us in our entertainment time. He's with us in our homes. He's with us in our bedrooms. He's with us in our accounting rooms. When we sit down and figure our checkbooks and figure all our bills, he's there with us. And he comes to church with us. And when the offering plate goes by, he's right there, sitting there. He's aware of what goes on. There isn't anything that is hidden from the eyes of the Lord. Now when this occurred, it seems like Jesus was there by himself. And uh, that's the way it should be. It's not everybody's business what we give. What you give is between you and God. That's the reason we do it through an envelope. You put it in the envelope, nobody sees it except you and God. And you put it in there. And Jesus, but Jesus was watching. He always watches. He always knows everything. He knows everything about our lives. But then all those people, big people came by and they were putting in their big gifts and so on. And Jesus was not very impressed. <laughs> there's, a, there's a little bit, if you read between the lines, there's a little bit of mirth right here. Jesus is watching and watching and watching. It was all common thing, uh, you know, business as usual, business as usual and so on. And all of a sudden here came a little old lady. Maybe she was leaned over. When she got near the collection box, she looked all around to be sure nobody was looking. It was entirely different from the other crew. Everybody else was looking around to be sure everybody was looking. But when she got there, she looked all around, very embarrassed, just to be sure nobody was looking. And then she 
put her two mites in that offering box. The Lord saw that. And he left and went over and called his disciples and he said, Come here, come here, I want you to see them. That's very unusual. And the Lord said, All these people have come by and cast in of their abundance. You see that little old lady? She gave more than anybody. She cast in her two mites. Now a mite is worth about one-sixteenth of a penny. You put them both together, they still don't even equal a penny. And the Lord said, that woman has given more than they all because they cast in of their abundance. But she has cast in all of her living, all that she had. And that leads us to learn some tremendous truths about giving, about giving to God about giving from the overflow, about what is noticed in heaven concerning our giving. Years ago, somebody wrote a story called Why the Chimes Rang. It's the story of Peter and Joseph. Now these are fictitious people. Maybe they lived years ago, I don't know, but they're not biblical characters. They're not the Peter and Joseph of the Bible. But these were two boys that lived way out in the country away from the big city. And in the big city, there was a huge cathedral. And at Christmas time, the whole, everybody in the area would gather in that great big cathedral for a Christmas service. And there was a tradition, nobody knew for sure it was true because they hadn't heard it for many, many years, but there was a tradition that said, the person that gives the greatest gift, when they give that gift at the altar, there are some wind chimes way up in the belfry that will ring. Now, nobody had heard them ring. It had been years and years and years and years and years since they'd ever rung. Well, Peter and Joseph knew about that old tradition. They didn't much expect to hear the bells ring, but they did want to go to the Christmas service and see the manger scene and worship the Christ. And so they saved their money. They wanted to go to the Christmas service, and at the Christmas service, everybody would go forward and make an offering to the Lord, and uh, uh, they just would do that. Of course, some of the big people would think, well, maybe my offering will be something that'll make those chimes ring again. All right, Peter and Joseph saved their money, and they came on Christmas Eve, it was time to go to the Christmas service. They started away from their home, and they had to walk a number of miles through a cold, snowy day. And as they walked toward the city, it got colder and the blizzard was blowing the wind and the snow. And as they got near the city, they almost stumbled over something in the snow. And they looked down and there was an old lady, almost frozen to death. And they stooped down and they tried to rub her hands and rub her face and try to warm her up a little bit. And they stayed there a little while and finally Peter said, Joe, you take our offering and go on into the city. And I'm going to stay here. This lady will die if we don't stay here and try to keep her warm and try to get some help for her. You go on. and I've wanted to be there, but you take our offering and go on into the city. And 
when the time comes for the offering, you, you go down and put our little offering in that box. And so he stayed out there. He tried to rub her hands and rub her face, and he took his coat off and put it around her so she wouldn't freeze. And Joe went on into the city. He went to the big church. And there in that big church, there were wealthy people great elegant people dressed so with finery and royalty and they were all amazed that day because the king of the country had come to that service they went through the service and we came to the close where the offering was to be given the people began to walk down the aisle and they placed their offerings on the altar and somebody would say look at that surely we'll hear the wind blow the chimes this time listened there was no chimes and then the king of the land came down there and took the crown from his head and placed it on the altar they said surely if there are any chimes up there they'll blow now they'll they'll ring now there was no chimes and then little Joseph remembering that his brother was out there taking care of that old woman looked around to see that nobody would notice him sort of half embarrassed, walked down those, that altar, real quickly placed his offering in the box, and then half ran back the aisle. And suddenly there came a great calm, and everybody was quiet. And way up there in the belfry, they began to hear the chimes. And out there in the snow, old Peter, still taking care of that old woman, heard the chimes because the chimes rang when the greatest offering was given. God does not look on how much. He looks on the sacrifice. And there are three things about giving that I'd like to share with us. Number one, to be real, giving must be sacrificial. To be real, giving must be sacrificial. It's not the amount of the gift that is important. The question is, how much did it cost the giver? How much did it really cost you to give? Jesus says that our all belongs to him. Very frankly, it probably is easier for some people to give 10% than it is others. And for those who, who find it easy to give 10%, they ought to move to 15% or 20% or 30%. The question is not the size of the gift, but what did it cost the giver? Again, the question is not the size of the gift, but the sacrifice behind the gift. What was the sacrifice involved? A number of years ago, we had a special occasion arise in our church when it was, there was a, a great need for funds. And we have made that appeal. And I was amazed when there came in the offering plate. Without much notice, there came a diamond ring. And there came a wedding band. 
And I learned later who it belonged to. I learned that that wedding band had been given by a husband and wife who decided they didn't have much else to give, but they'd give that because they loved God. And the man who gave the diamond ring said, I want to give that to God because that's the best I've got to give him. The question is not so much the cost, but the sacrifice involved in our giving. William Barclay, in his little book, little New Testament uh, commentary on the book of Mark, says this, it may be a sign of the decadence of the church and the failure of our Christianity that gifts have to be coaxed out of church people. And often they will not give at all unless they get something for the money in the way of entertainment or of goods. I was talking to a Sunday school class this morning. I said, it's sort of silly for the preacher to have to beg people to go to the choir. If you've got a voice to sing, why, why should the pastor have to get up and say, now folks, you ought to sing in the choir? Why? why? If you've got a talent and you withhold it from the glory of God through the church. And you see, that's where God gets the glory. You come to a church and the choir doesn't sing very good or doesn't sing much or it's not a very full choir. You get the impression, well, that church doesn't have much of a choir. And here are people out in the auditorium who sing beautifully like angels. But you withhold that gift and talent from the Lord because it costs a little bit to not sit with your husband. It costs a little bit to be faithful in a rehearsal. You see, it's not so much the gift, it's the sacrifice involved behind that gift. I respect our choir. It's not easy to go up here and stand, sit in front of the whole church every Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday night. Most of us are a little bit timid. We don't enjoy doing that. But I appreciate people who will give their gifts and talents on the altar for the Lord. Why should the pastor have to coax people, or why should a finance committee have to coax people to give their tithes to the Lord? Are there offerings to the Lord? Now, I believe that there needs to be instruction. Sometimes we don't know. Uh, I, I gave this illustration to uh, our Sunday school class also. I think even, even when we love, we have to be instructed. For example, a number of years ago, uh, there was a boy and girl here that obviously loved each other. And I know that that boy loved that girl with all of his heart. And I'd watch them go out and uh, get in the car, and the boy would go out there and get in the driver's seat and sit down. The girl would stumble out there and sometimes slip on the ice and slide through the snow and have to open the door of the car and finally get in. And then uh, she'd sit down and take off. Take off just a minute before she even got the door closed. And so I called the boy off one day, and I said, You love her, don't you? Yeah, I love her a whole lot. She loves me. I know it. I, I know that. It's obvious. I believe that. I don't have any question about that. I said, did you ever think that it might help her know that you love her a little bit more if you'd go out there and help her to the door, open the door for her, and help her get in there safely, close the door, and then go around and get in the car? He said, you know, I never thought of that. He started doing that. That didn't mean he loved her anymore. He always loved her. But love had to have a little bit of instruction. Now, many of us love the Lord, but we need to be instructed in how to demonstrate that love. 
And one of the demonstrations of love is giving. Somebody said, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. And so God wants us to give sacrificially. Now the second thing that I want to say about giving from this text concerning this woman, giving which is real has a certain recklessness about it. Now that woman could have come up to the altar and she had two uh, two mites. She could have put one mite in the offering and said, now now Lord, you know this all I've got and and, uh, I'll just must have something in my pocket or I'll be absolutely broke. And so she could have gone on and that would have made sense, wouldn't it? How many of you, well, you know that it made sense. That, who likes to be broke? Most of us uh, try to keep at least a penny on hand, don't we? <laughs> uh, we try to keep something. Well, that, that would have made a lot of sense philosophically. But that woman recklessly gave her all to the Lord. Now, God looks at what we have left over after we give. I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about everything we are. Do you know that the Lord wants our all on the altar? Everything we have, everything we are, everything we possess, all of our talents, all of our commitment, all of our dedication, everything we have, God wants placed on that altar for His glory. That's what that woman did and it so excited the heart of Jesus. Jesus went over and called his disciples and said, look here, this is unusual. I want you to see this. Has the Lord gotten excited about what we've given him? How many times has the Lord said, hey, angels, come here. I want you to look down there at Glendale Baptist Church. Look at that man. Look at that woman. Look what they've given of themselves to God. A lot of times we withhold from him. You know, we have church on Sunday night and Wednesday night. Lots of times we have Sunday morning glories. They bloom on Sunday morning and you don't see them anymore till the next Sunday morning. I believe God wants all we are and all we have. I don't know of anybody that gets uh, spiritually sick because they go to church too much. Now there are some churches that require that you go three services or they say you're not going to heaven. I know I can give you the list of some of them. I don't believe that. We're not saved because we go to church or don't go to church. We're saved because we trusted the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse us from sin. But I want to tell you, God does want us to be involved in His church. Lots of times, people will put their pastor or their Sunday school superintendent or some teacher or somebody else out on the front line and they say, Pastor, we're for you, we're behind you, and we're back here, and they're way, way behind. Pastor comes on Sunday night, looks for them, they're not here. Wednesday night, they're not here. Soul winning, they're not here. They're not there at all. And I want to tell you a little secret. We can't build a strong church like that. And don't go to sleep on me. I'm sort of talking in low tones this morning, trying to keep myself down. I'm getting a little excited. I made change, but I don't get to sleep on me. And I want to tell you. You can't build a strong church like that. There has to be manpower and woman power. We have to be right there involved. 
we're considering going into a program, be impossible to go into a program of advance, of partners in progress, unless there's a large group of committed people who say, Lord, you can count on me. And do you know sometimes we'll say, well, I'll come to this church today and then I'm going to go some other church next Sunday and someplace else the next. That won't get it done. It's like somebody going to a job and they'll say, well, I'll tell you, I'll work at Kinko today and I'll work at Houchins tomorrow and I'll work at, uh, at the Holly Carburetor plant the next day and I'll work down at the bank the next day and I'll work out of the farm the next day. All those employers will say the same thing. What will they say, James? Go find you a job somewhere else where you can be faithful. You can't do that. Now, you can't build a church like that either, my friend. There has to be a total involvement where you give your life and your all in that one place and say, God being my helper, I'm going to help build a strong work for Jesus in that place. God will bless you for doing that. Giving what is real has a certain reckless abandon about it. That woman came down there, she just loved God, and she came down there and put her all there and went on. I don't even know her name, do you? I don't know who she was, but she's known in heaven. It so excited the heart of Jesus, he went over and called his disciples and said, come, I want you to see this. If you'll read the scripture carefully, you don't find very many times in the Bible where Jesus ever did that. And called his disciples and said, I want you to see this. He, he didn't do that much. But he did there. Last thing I want to mention, and this is so comforting. It is strange and lovely that the person in the New Testament that Jesus gave as a pattern or example for generosity is the person who had the least to give. Did you ever think of that? She didn't have much to give. And yet Jesus said, now that's, that's a pattern of generosity. That, that's, I want to commend that. I've heard people say, well, you know, I don't have much to give. I can't do anything. I, I, don't, I don't have a voice like uh, Robert Coates has, so I can't sing. Or I can't teach like Ben Oates can teach, so I better not try to teach. Or I can't go, you know, I can't go and win souls and win people to Christ all the time. I had a preacher friend tell me one time that he can win uh, four out of every five people he talks to. I can't do that. I just can't do that. So I think I'll just quit and say, well, I won't go souling at all because I can't win four out of five. There's some people very, very effective and others who have to just get, have a little bit to give. But I want to tell you, Jesus commended that woman who didn't have very much to give, but she gave all she had. That's what the Lord wants. He does not want something from us that we can't give. He doesn't ask for something that we don't have. He just says, give me all you are. Is your all on the altar of sacrifice laid? You're all, you're all, you're all. In order to do that, there has to be a death, a death to self. A death to self's whims and a liveness, a vibrancy to Christ that says, I surrender all. We used to sing a song, I love thee, I love thee, I love thee, my Lord. I love thee, my Savior. I love thee, my God. I love thee, my Savior, 
And that thou dost know, but how much I love thee, my actions will show. Is your all on the altar? And Jesus said, this woman, this poor widow, hath cast more in than all they which have cast in of their large amounts into the treasury. When we leave today, what's the Lord going to say about you and me? Is he going to be impressed or will he, will he say, well, that's just business as usual. There they met over at Glendale and they sang half-heartedly and they listened half-heartedly and when the gifts came, time came, they gave half-heartedly and when, and when the altar call came, they just stood there. Or is Jesus going to get excited and say, hey, angels, hey, apostles, hey, Isaiah, Jeremiah, hey, Luke, Matthew, Paul, look, look down there at Glendale. There's a man, there's a woman, there's somebody over there. They're giving their all on the altar. I wish somehow I had the oratory ability to stir our hearts to say, I want to give all on the altar for Jesus. We do that. We give him all you have, all you are. Don't be afraid to do that. Don't be afraid to do that. Because all that thou spendest, Jesus will repay. It begins by giving our heart. He can't get anything until he has our heart, until we let him into our life, we receive him into ourself, and we say, Jesus, I need you, I want you, and when we receive him, then that's the beginning of a new life for Christ. May we pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. Our Father, we thank Thee that Jesus gave His all. And we pray that somebody here today, maybe not everybody, but somebody will have received this challenge and will say, Lord, I want to give you my all, all my voice, all my talents, all I am. Now, while we remain in prayer for just a moment, would you examine each of us, his own heart? And just, just ask God, God, from your perspective, how much of me do you have? How much of me do you have? And then would you say, Lord, I want to give you all there is of me. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand, please? Brother Jim, could we sing that song, Is Your All on the Altar? I don't know whether it's in this book or not, or I Surrender All, one of those two songs. And find that and tell us what page in a moment. Listen carefully. I just want to ask you this morning, how much of you is on the altar for the Lord? How much? Not just a part or half of my heart, but Lord, I'll give all to Thee. Could we do that? And that takes care of everything else. It takes care of the work of the Lord. It takes care of your joy. 
It takes care of your accounting day one day when you stand before the Lord. God isn't going to compare you with, with uh, Brother Sheldon over here, with Brother Burl over here, somebody else. He's not going to compare you with them. He's going to say, did you give me all of you had? That's what he wants. He, wants, he just wants that. What's the number? 381. 381. You're all on the altar. Number 381. 381. Let's turn in that book to that. And the invitation is very simple this morning. First of all, if you have never been saved, I want to ask you to come and give your life to Jesus. Jesus doesn't ask for something you don't have. He just asks for you. Would you give yourself to Jesus this morning? God help you to do it. Just step out from where you are and come and say, by the grace of God, I'm going to give myself to Jesus. I want to give my heart to the Lord. I want God to forgive me and save me and change me. Come into my heart. We do that. There are others that ought to come and say, by the grace of God, I want to move my membership, become part of this fellowship, help build a work for Jesus right at this place. There's some that maybe would come and say, I want to give my all on the altar. Whatever the Lord has impressed you to do while we sing, will you step out for the King? God help you to come today. Give him your all.